This is Masters in Business with Barry Ritholtz on Bloomberg Radio. This week on Masters in Business, we have an extra, extra special guest. She is perhaps the greatest tennis player of all times. Her name is Serena Williams, and I was fortunate enough to be able to interview her at an event recently down in Florida where we discussed not only tennis, but business, philanthropy, uh, what it's like to be so singularly focused on one single uh, area for most of your life. Uh, She was absolutely delightful. Uh, I found this to be really uh, a wonderful uh, conversation. Uh, It was actually at the Inside ETF conference in Hollywood, Florida. There were about 2,400 people in the audience, and when she was introduced, uh, she came out to a standing ovation. Uh, It was actually kind of funny because she's on stage waving to the crowd, and I'm kind of just waiting by the stairs, not wanting to you know, step on her applause line. She kind of looked at me and gestured, come on, what are you doing? Let's go, get out here. It was it was pretty hilarious. I had a lot of fun uh, with her. Anytime I could could make her crack up was was um, just charming. She she really was, was not only very thoughtful and savvy when it comes to business, but just delightful and charming. It's amazing that someone who is as fierce a competitor as she is, could be so just, you know, lovely off court. Um, we did play uh, a couple of uh, sets of tennis, and she won 6-3 and 7-6, so I, I have to give her that. Uh, but all told, uh, this was really a wonderful experience, and I think you will find it every bit as fascinating as I did. With no further ado, my conversation with Serena Williams, which took place on January 23rd, 2018, at the Inside ETFs conference in Hollywood, Florida. I said earlier that I have the easiest job at this conference the whole weekend. I just get to sit out here and chat with Serena Williams for a few minutes. Serena, thank you so much for doing this. We've been looking forward to it for a while. Um, Let's start chatting a little bit Uh, about what's going on right now. It's the Australian Open, potentially your 24th major title. How difficult was it to make the decision not to compete in Melbourne? Um, It wasn't that difficult, actually, to decide not to compete. I I really, when I was there, uh, well, I wasn't there, but when I was making the decision, um, I didn't want to go to Australia just to compete. I wanted to go, or to any tournament just to compete, I want to go uh, with the mindset and the mind frame that I'm here to win. I'm not here just to show up and, you know, just kind of take a space in the room. Uh, So for me, that was really important. And when I realized that if I went to Australia, I would be just filling a seat, I knew Mm -hmm. that that's not how I've traditionally done my career. I've always entered with the mindset, frankly, to win. And yeah, I don't win them all, but at least my my mental was there. So um, I uh, didn't make it, and I'm okay with it. (laughs) Have you been watching any of the Open? I am a little bit, not so much. Um, I don't allow my daughter, Olympia, to watch too much TV. Mm-hmm. So um, so whenever she's like nap time or something and, and I'm home, I 
turn it on really fast, but when she comes down, I kind of turn it off. So you started playing tennis as a kid. What was that like? Was that fun, or did that become a, a chore? Did that become a job? Um, it definitely was super, super fun in the beginning, but as like a nine, eight-year-old kid, you definitely sometimes want to go out and play with other kids and do different things. So then it became a little bit of a chore, um, especially as a teenager, it was like more or less goal-oriented, because you think of, you see these players, you see these teenagers that are actually professional, and it's like, oh my God, I want to do that too. And you realize that all the time that um, before that you wanted to um, go out there and, and just be a kid and just to kind of play with everyone else, you're, you're really grateful for those moments that you spent that few extra little bit of a time, um, you know, just working on your craft. So you're a kid, you're playing some tennis. Did you ever stop and think, I know, I'm gonna turn this into a career and I can't even guess where this is gonna take me. Did, were there, was there ever a moment like that where let's see where tennis could go? Well, my, um, my dad, he was always super, super positive with both myself and my sister, who you may or may not know. Uh, <laughs> famous, famous tennis player. Um, so, she, my dad was always so positive, and he always taught us to think incredibly positive. He said, you know, you are what you think. If you think you're the best, you're going to be the best. If you think you're mediocre, you're going to be mediocre. So that's kind of followed me throughout my whole life. Um, so I always thought I'd be number one. I always thought I would win a Grand Slam. I never thought I would have so many Grand Slams. Um, uh, but I always thought, you know, at some point that I would have an opportunity to, to hold, in particular, the U.S. Open trophy. So you're, you've always been in excellent physical condition as a competitor. How difficult is it to maintain that peak physical condition as well as the mental condition, because that's clearly a big part of your game? Yeah, mental aspect is a huge part of my game. Um, Physical is, is tough as well. Uh, it's a part of the job. You know, one day, a few years ago, I described, and, and I realized that for the first time, I realized that my job is to stay fit. And uh, <laughs> simply put, so I was like, okay, you have to have a better diet, you have to do this. You, you know, that's my job, literally, that's my job. So that, That's not my job. <laughs> Clearly. So, but, <laughs> no, but I was like, you know what, Serena? And that gave me the motivation to just to work harder on that. So sometimes breaking things down, like simple, so simple like that, just can also help. Um, but mental has, it's always been something innate for me. Like mentally, I've always just, it always clicked. I've always wanted to be on top, to be holding the trophies, to, I've always wanted that. So mentally, I knew what it took to get there uh, and physically, um, even today, I'm just like, because <sighs> I'm trying to get back and trying to get that physical back. I got the mental, but I'm just trying to get that physical back. So as we all get a little older, our body changes a little bit. You just had a baby. How does the physical training evolve? How do you adjust over time? Is your routine the same as it was a couple of years ago? What sort of adjustments have you made? Um, you know, throughout the years, I make a lot of adjustments because I've been playing professional for like, for uh, uh, almost 20 years, so it's a really long time. 
Um, so throughout that time, I just you know make adjustments because if I were doing the same thing 20 years later, I think I would be a little bit tired and just I wouldn't want to do it anymore. So every few years I reinvent myself. I try to reinvent exercise and also technology has really changed a lot mm -hmm. in terms of um, helping athletes perform better, perform longer and you see lots of athletes in all sports um, that are playing deeper and playing when they're a lot older. Um, so that's been super helpful for me and also lots of new studies came out I, that uh, was able to help performance peak of athletes. So. Um, it's been really interesting. So that th those that type of stuff wasn't available, you know, 10, 15, even 20 years ago, and it just started becoming more available in the past, you know, seven years or so. And that's really been helping me to be able to continue to e evolve. Which raises the next question: How much longer do you want to play for professionally? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like there's one day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to say I'm done. Um, and I know that when that'll be, and I'll, I'll know the feeling. And I don't have that feeling yet. I didn't have it, um, you know, in the last year with everything that happened. And you know, so I, when it comes, I'll know. So you're at 23. Margaret Court is at 24. Mm -hmm. Is it safe to say you want to go to 25, 26? Well, you know, I, it's it's no secret anymore. <laughs> that um, Margaret Court, I mean, that I would love to catch up with Margaret Court. Um, she played in a different era, so her 24 Grand Slams were a little bit different than the open era tennis, long story. But um, arguably what you did was harder than what she did. Yeah, it was a yes, because it was a different draw and it was a di mm -hmm. there are different elements. So they changed it in, I think, the 60s or to, to open era tennis. And so that's when it became people like me playing. She also incidentally played in open air in tennis and won several Grand Slams in open air. So that was really awesome for her too. Um, but, um, wait, what, what was your question? So 24, <laughs> okay. 25, 30, oh, how far, oh, okay. how high do you want to set the bar for whoever comes after you? Sorry. Um, I think it's interesting when I, there was 18 was my first goal. Um, because Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova, they both had 18 Grand Slams each. And um, that was the thing. I was like, I got it. And I had 17 at the time. I was like, I got to get to 18. I've got to get to 18. I've got to get to 18. And then I, I put so much pressure on myself that I, I lost three in a row. I lost three Grand Slams in a row really, really bad. And I couldn't play. It was just way too much pressure. And um, I talked to my coach, and he sat me down, and he said, why are you trying to get to 18? This makes no sense. Like uh, everyone puts all this pressure on you. Um, your goal should be 30 or 40. 18 is such a low goal. Yeah, no pressure there. So, <laughs> but to me it made sense because I set my goal for just what was in sight. And mm -hmm. I think subconsciously a lot of people set their goal on what's already there. Why not reach for a higher goal? And so I really learned from that that, yeah, Margaret Court has 24, but why would I want to reach for that when there's more? And so um, that conversation really helped me. I ended up winning, I think it was the US Open after that. 
Um, and I just was able to relax. And so to answer your question, I don't know. I'll just, whatever I'm able to get, if any, um, that's what I'll be going for. You, you did a, a recent Vanity Fair cover, and in the article you discuss how once you stopped focusing on the short term and relaxed, it really just changed the game for you, and it became more fun. To discuss that a little bit. Yeah, it's once you stop. Once I stopped looking at the short term, I was just able like something released. It was like this some, something chemically released in me, and I totally relaxed. I think I won four in a row at that point, and um, it was just it was just a lot easier. You know, sometimes I think I, I know I, and I think we a lot of people in this room can relate. Put a lot of pressure on yourselves, and and, and it's. You know, it, it's hard, so you just have to kind of just take a deep breath and, you know, almost sometimes take a step back and then take those three steps forward. So, so let's talk about the people in the room and the business that you're in. Um, it turns out that you and I both play tennis with the same racket, the Wilson Blade 104. You use it to hit serves 129 miles an hour. It's kind of neon green and black and cool. That's why I use it. <laughs> How, how important is your equipment to you? And what is the decision-making process like, saying, I'm going to use these sneakers and, and this racket? Um, equipment is important. I feel like you, if you're, sometimes I've noticed that some players will switch equipments because equipment, because um, they have a sponsor that will pay them more then they'll start losing. So it's like, it's so important to have the right equipment. You don't want to go out on the court with a pair of shoes that's going to break. You're probably going to start losing matches. In the long run, it ends up being bad for you. So the equipment is key. You really have to have really good equipment. And uh, I have to say and vouch that you have a great racket. <laughs> okay. And, you know, I can't do the same things with it, but I can yeah. occasionally hit the ball over the net, which is, which is a good start. So you mentioned sponsors. What is the process like deciding who do you want to work with as a sponsor, as an endorsement? Mm -hmm. the, the professional sports game has changed where that's really a substantial, for those people who, I wish Alan was out here to discuss the economics of sports, um, but that's an enormous portion of revenue for, for professionals. What is that decision-making process like? You, you work with you work with Wilson, you work with, um, uh, you're still doing Nike, um, uh, I forgot the watch company, Piaget or? or Audemars Piaget. Okay, and, but there's a run of different sponsors. What is that process like? Um, so for me, when, you know, when, when I, the further along I got in my career, I, I really became a lot involved with philanthropy and, you know, Honestly, when I was younger, I always was I've always wanted to give. Um, so one of the foundations that I look at for a sponsor is someone that says, "This is what we can do for your foundation. This is what we can donate. This is how we can help you come up with different ideas. This is how we can be involved." And so for me, that means a lot to me because I don't want to be involved with a company that genuinely doesn't care about the world that we live in. Um, so there's been so many times I've turned down things because it just didn't fit with who Serena as an individual and as a person is. And then I have other companies that I do work with, they all 
definitely have given and want to give and have given a lot to their own various charities and things that they do as well. So that's super, super important to me. Um, also, I have to believe in the product. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to use something that I just don't believe in. For instance, uh, Wilson. Mm -hmm. I actually used them when I was uh, like six years old. I was using a Wilson racket. They didn't pay me. I just love the product. So um, when the opportunity came to sign with Wilson, I was overjoyed. I was like, oh my goodness, this is what I use. I, yeah, this is great, you know? So I don't, when I, when I do endorse something, it's genuine. Another example is Gatorade. I'm from Compton, California, and we couldn't really afford to, to buy Gatorade. So sometimes we'd be practicing on the public courts, and my dad would leave the courts and go around the corner to the, to the little um, corner market, and he would buy one Gatorade. Back then it was like in a glass bottle, and we would all share it. And it was the treat of the life for me. You know, and so when an opportunity came up for me to be uh, endorsed with Gatorade, I almost fainted. It was just, it was like, I've been using this for years. This is what I use, this is what I do all my life. I, and it just tells such a great story. So a lot of the time, um, and I think every athlete kind of wants to be with Nike. So mm -hmm. um, that was like, a, that was another one that was just really genuine. So I always follow those guidelines. I always try to be true to myself. You're, you're not gonna see someone different here and then meet me somewhere and see a totally different individual. So I always try to be true to myself and true to people that I li and line up with. You're dressed quite fashionably this evening. You started a fashion line. How did that come about, and how hands-on are you with, with the fashion line? Um, <laughs> so I'm very hands-on, maybe too hands-on. I'm going to have to figure out a way to take at least one hand out. Um, I went to art school. Mm -hmm. I went to the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale, which is just down the street from here. Um, whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I study fashion, so when I was, when I was young, um, I used to, we couldn't, you, could, you know, you have a baby doll and you can change, you can buy different outfits for it, but we couldn't afford the outfits. So my mom taught us how to sew. And I would always make my baby doll different outfits from socks that I probably, looking back, that I probably stole. Like, why did I get those socks? Um, <laughs> so I'd always make different outfits for my, and I had like a million dolls. I always make different outfits for my baby dolls. So, um, you know, I've always just been, a fashion person and I've always loved designing and I designed everything I did for, I've been wearing on the court, most collections, not all, um, but a lot of the collections I designed for. Um, and so it was a no brainer after going to school, studying it to start a collection. So I did, I've done that for, I don't know, nine to eight, nine years and now I'm starting a different collection. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's been really fun. It's a lot of work. Like I said, I'm incredibly hands-on, but because I know the art and I know the skill, and it's not something I'm just putting my name on and then just um, going out to practice, which is, wouldn't be a bad thing because I could use a little extra practice nowadays, but um, I'm super involved. So you're also involved in a number of uh, boards of directors. What asset do you bring to these boards? And these are not just similar to the fashion, you're not just putting your name on this. These are real time-consuming, 
um, meetings where important decisions get made. Yeah, very important decisions get made. Um, Tell us the board you're on as a, as a start. Well, I just recently joined the board of SurveyMonkey. Um, a lot of businesses use them, very, very, very big company. Um, so that was really exciting. We, in fact, we had a call yesterday. We have a meeting in, in February. Our first Q1 meeting is in February. So that was exciting for me. Um, I just joined a board with uh, Billie Jean King just for um, that helps involve different foundations in terms of making change and equality, which is, again, something that I truly, truly believe in. And uh, I got asked to join another board um, a few days ago for a, a new sports league that's starting that I'm deciding whether I would join it or not. But um, it's interesting because I have always had this really side business mind that I often bring to the court with me and that I um, have always just, just, just had. And I, I, I like to say I got it from my dad, but um, I love it. I really love being a part of the boards. I love the, my first board meeting. I was a little nervous. I just kind of sat there with my, like a deer in headlights. Like, should I say something? Should I not say something? What do I do? Um, the second one, I was I was in giving birth, and I missed that one. So I was like, I promise, guys, it's not my fault. The baby's coming. So uh, that one was really tough. But um, I'll, I'll be at the next one. And. Um, it's good, like you said, a ton of decisions are made about the about the company and about how it's going to be ran, run, and and how the how it's going to do. You're also on the board of the new Verizon AOL Yahoo oh, combo. Yes. So you have you seem to have an inclination towards technology. I know it's yes. nerve wracking up here. Yeah. Sorry, I'm actually we're I'm actually um. Uh, Tim Armstrong wanted me to be the chairman of uh, board of advisors on that one. So we have tons of meetings coming up um, because we have our, our first board meeting. It's for Oath. It's a new AOL Verizon company. Um, so we have our first board meeting. Q, our first Q1 actually is in a couple of weeks. So we're excited about that one as well. Um, that's a great opportunity. I do love technology. And like I was saying earlier, um, technology affects our lives from sport to equipment, to running a company, to running business, like SurveyMonkey, like it really affects our lives. And so for me, um, I've always been, especially I think um, a lot of people now are really trying to get into tech and just trying to think, well, what's the future? What's, what's the next Facebook? What's the next, you know, Tesla? Um, and, and just figure out basic, it's cliche in San Francisco to say change the world. But that's what these companies are doing. These companies are changing the way people think, the way people function, the way people drive, the way people catch rides, um, the way people ask questions. So um, this is this is a new this is a new time, and I'm and I don't want to be left behind. I want to be a part of that new time. So I always try to educate myself and try to stay up. So who are you obviously have an enormous background in sports, and there were a number of people who mentored you in that. Who are your business mentors? So my business mentors are, one of my um, business mentors are, is Cheryl Sandberg. We, she's, so, she's so great. Um, she's been very, very amazing. She actually was very helpful with getting me on that SurveyMonkey board. Um, in fact, she recommended me and wanted me on that one. 
Um, Anna Wintour, who's another very, very powerful woman, super, super, super smart. Um, Tim Armstrong and I have gotten incredibly close. He's the CEO of AOL and now Verizon AOL Yahoo combination. Um, yeah, I have a, quite a few, but it's, it's been really great. Um, Alexis Ohanian, I probably should mention him. We're married, so. Found, founder of Reddit. Founder how, of Reddit. How much time do you spend firm. trolling around on, on subreddits? Um, <laughs> he really more, let, more does VC work now, more mm -hmm. than anything. So he has his VC firm, um, oh God, uh, initialized, okay. Um, he's had it for many years, but um, he's definitely doing 100% of initialized now. So that's super cool. That's super fun. That's a whole different investing and, and, and just a whole different side and a whole different world that I'm a part of as well. Uh, but it's fun. It, it's really fun to see him, you know, go to work and go to bat for that and, you know, basically throwing a, a, a baseball in the air and hoping it lands in a hoop. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. So tennis obviously has a lot of parallels to the world of business. What has tennis taught you about business? Well, tennis has taught me um, that it's important to stay focused in your business. So for instance, when I started my investing, um, it was very, another mentor of mine, um, he also is uh, one of the Pinterest, main Pinterest people, he was telling me that it's very important to, to have a focus. And I'm like, I can focus, I can do that. I do that in tennis a lot. So, but he was saying that you can have a focus on what you wanna do. So I knew that I wanted, my focus was gonna be um, female founders. Um, another focus of mine were, um, oh my gosh, I, I'm a, I think I have mom brain. Mm -hmm. I have a really bad case. Um, oh my goodness. Don't worry, it takes about 15 years, you'll, you'll outgrow Oh, good Lord. Anyway. So let's talk about your foundation then. Yes. Um, no, we'll, I can't think of the word. I'm kind of mad now. I know we're on time. But can I tell you, it only gets worse as you get older. Equality. I'm, uh, equality. Go. So I'm looking for, you know, people equality as well. So different races and you know, so for me, that's super important. And I, so that's what I focus on. So. Let's, let's bring up the foundation, because you specifically established this to promote equity through education, yes. gender, race, disability, anything that stands in the way of a person achieving uh, their potential. First, that's a giant target. So I have to ask, what are you doing to accomplish that target, and, and how do you measure if you're actually making progress? Because really, just making everybody better. That's a pretty big bogey to It to is, for. but the thing we strive is to make one person better. Because that one person can make one person. And that one person can make one person. Before you know it, it makes a lot of people better. Hopefully, it's more than one person. But usually, we just strive for just that one, to make that one person better. And um, for me, I think that is super important to, uh, to do. So let's talk a little about some personal stuff. Um, what athletes do you follow on social media? I noticed you've retweeted Kobe a couple of times. Who else do you follow? I follow Kobe. I follow, um, I don't follow a lot of people. I think I follow LeBron James. Mm -hmm. um, I follow Venus. Mm -hmm. 
that doesn't count, though. I follow a lot of tennis players. I follow Caroline Wozniacki. I follow... Um, Were you watching her today? No, I was practicing myself, but I was happy she won. She didn't just win, she coasted. Yeah, it was, it was a beautiful thing. It was thing. good, I was happy for her, but... You, you yeah. mentioned Venus. So you have a number of Olympic golds, both for singles and doubles with your yes. sister. How do the Olympics differ from regular open competition? I, I love the Olympics. A tennis player never grew up thought about playing the Olympics. We thought about US Open, Wimbledon, Australian Open, French Open, and that was it. Mm -hmm. So when there was an opportunity to play for the Olympics, you know, it's like, uh, you know, is it that shilly? And then you go and you see all these athletes from all these different countries, and this is their life. Every, once every four years, this is, this is their moment in time, and they may never come back. And you realize how amazing it is to hold a gold medal that someone else has as well in a field that they've worked for for 20 years plus for just that one day. And as much as I love my Grand Slams trophies, which I, I would never give up, I, I, for me, my Olympic gold medals mean more to me. So tell us something important that people don't know about your background. Well, I, that's, I told you about the, the tennis story and the Gatorade and the, the Wilson one. Is that the first I time you discussed? I said the fashion one. Mm -hmm. You guys probably didn't know that one. Um, oh, I was, well, I, I'm going back to, but I'm studying, um, I, like again, I'm going back, I'm studying pre-med at UMass. Okay, and yeah. what do you want to do with pre-med? So the whole point of me studying pre-med was because I like a holistic approach of medicine, mm -hmm. um, and I wanted just to have that, you know, in order to do the holistic background, you still have to have the pre-med. Um, but the whole purpose was if I ever had kids, that way, you know, I'd be able to know what to do, what not to do, and how to help them and how to not help them. And so then Olympia popped up, and it was just like, oh, so let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about books. You, you travel a lot. I have to think you're reading all the time on yes. planes or what have you. Tell us about some of your favorite books. Um, I love autobiographies. Um, I read, Cheryl Sandberg wrote two books. She wrote Lean In and then Option B. Yeah, which was, they're both great books. Also love to read fantasy novels, like dragons and mm -hmm. stuff. Like Give that. us a title. Well, there's this book called Fablehaven that I love. Mm -hmm. I, I, obviously, I loved all the Harry Potter books. Um, I just recently read this book, Sky Raiders, which is um, another Brandon Mule book. Okay, I'm talking way too much about that. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, that's the majority of my reading. <laughs> Tell us about a time you failed. It could be on the quarter or off. Fail? Failed. And what did you oh, learn failed. from it? Um, I don't know, I fell a lot. I fell so many times in fashion, and I don't know, we're working on this new collection, it could, it could fail too, but um, the thing about failing is it's, it's good, because if you fail, you don't, you, sometimes you don't know how to be better if you're always doing right, or you can just kind of stay in this plane, and you, you're probably like, well, how come I'm not here? How come I'm always here? But if you fail, then you fall, and then you kind of can rise up higher than you ever would have if you didn't fail. So I, every time I lose, which I absolutely abhor, um, but every single time I lose, I get 10 times better. Um, and that's failing, that's what it does for you. 
What do you do to relax when you're not on the court? Um, I watch a ton of Netflix. Mm -hmm. I'm a total DC comic nerd. Oh, oh, really? But I do still like Marvel. I love Marvel comics as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I just was watching Catching Up with um, a show called Young Justice. But anyway. Do you, do you Avengers, Justice League, Iron Man, what do you yeah, like? Yeah, The whole, everything. Everything. I'm really, I honestly think I was a superhero in a different life, on a different <laughs> dimension. Uh -huh. I feel like I was Miss Marvel or something. Yeah. Come here to Earth to save us from bad yeah, um No, more or less like the alien invaders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, if, if a young person came to you and said they were thinking about being a professional athlete, mm -hmm. what sort of advice would you give them? Well, you have to work hard. You have to believe in yourself. And even when other people don't believe in yourself and you hear negativity, and now with social, there's so many things negative that you can read about yourself. You just have to be so positive and you have to love you and believe in you more than, even more than your parents probably would ever believe in you. And mm -hmm. so, that's what it takes. And um, my last tennis question, what is it that you know about being a professional athlete today that you wish you knew 25 years ago? Oh, well, how to, how to move the ball around more, how to raise the ball, no, they're more technical stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, that's a good question. I feel like if I was, were just to um, take my losses the way I take them now, which is awful, mm -hmm. but imagine what they were before. <laughs> so if I could do that, that would be better. <laughs> All right, so let's go to our uh, speed round before we open this up uh, to the audience. This will be our lightning round. 10 questions uh, in 60 seconds. Favorite Grand Slam? Australian Open. Most challenging opponent? Venus. Uh, favorite subreddit? Um, I'm really not into Reddit. There's a lot of there's a lot of like Dungeons and Dragons stuff. There's really? some interesting, yeah. There's some I interesting don't go stuff. On Reddit. Um, favorite non-tennis athlete? No, non-tennis athlete. Non-tennis athlete. Um, that new ice skater, that that the young guy. Mm -hmm. He's awesome. What is what is your favorite city to eat in? Oh, New Orleans, easy beignet. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. Easy. Easy. Um, other than your sister, who's your best friend on tour? Caroline. That was that was yeah, really that was, easy. that was a later. Yeah. Um, what's the number one item on your bucket list? Um, huh. Twenty-four. Okay. Twenty-five. Okay. <laughs> Better than twenty-four. <laughs> All-time favorite movie? <gasps> Impossible. Impossible, because there's too many good ones. You got Forrest Gump, you got The Color Purple, you have Friday, you have Shawshank Redemption, you have, you know what, it's, you can't, you have, I even like gentlemen prefer blondes, you know, I, Impossible Old have one. You can Impossible have one. And what's the favorite song that you sing to your daughter? Definitely Moana. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the Moana songs. I love them all. I don't know if she likes the way I sing them, but I love singing them to her. So that's 10 questions in a minute. Let's go to Slido. You mentioned you like technology. We use a technology here that people can ask questions and they'll come up on the screen and we could pick them. Let's, uh, let's start running some of the questions uh, from Slido, if we can.
So the problem with technology <laughs> is that often it does not work. No, it works. I am. I enjoy technology, and I love that lightning round. That was fun. You like, I have another yeah. fifty. We could do this for an hour. <laughs> right? Just keep going. Do we want to do? Do we want to do uh, the Slido? All right. So bring them out. Oh, okay. And I have it on my phone this time. Uh, this is not me speaking, although it's true. I am the father of daughters, and I will let Barry finish the rest of the question. <laughs> there it is. I'm the father of daughters. You instilled a positive attitude. What suggestions do you have to instill positive self-image amongst daughters? Another great question, and very important for me. I believe it starts young. I believe it starts two months out the womb. I really do. Um, I was in a store, I won't mention which one, and I saw the girl section and it said, mommy's princess and daddy's princess and cute and you know, adorable. And I was in the boy, and I went to the boys area and it said, curious, I'm a thinker, right. I'm smart, um, I can do anything. And I was just like, what? You know, and I would have never noticed it before. That's why I say it starts, and this was like zero to three months, three to six months clothing. So it starts now. Mm -hmm. It starts instilling that positive, telling your daughter, you can do anything, you can be the best, just the way we tell our sons. And it's something I have to do too, because I have a daughter, and I need to make sure that I'm actively working on that. So someone asked the question, mom brain is real. It is. How do you do all that you do and how do you balance work and life? It is real. I, I write a lot of things down. Mm -hmm. um, balancing work and life is easy for me because I made it, you know, I work from, I have to be done at one at the latest usually, but I wanted to be here with you guys, so. Um, but my everyday life, I'm trying to be done at one. That way I can spend the rest of the day with my daughter. I can take phone calls, which is fine. But um, as long as I'm at the house, I'm good. You've achieved great success. You have great poise and grace. How do you remain so grounded amid the fame and fortune? I have four older sisters. I have three older sisters. And I'm the youngest of five. Um, and my mom, if you ever met her, ooh, she doesn't play. So <laughs> if I'm not humble, they give me a whack in the head. <laughs> so you're a very competitive person. One day you're going to have to figure around 45, you'll retire from tennis. What's going to replace the competition of tennis in your post-tennis life? The competition. I want to be the. I want to have a really strong voice on those boards. Um, I definitely am competing to be on other boards as well. Um, so that's very competitive. And of course the fashion with this new company that we just started, um, that is going to be a lot of com competition to you know, outdo some of the other people that are doing their own lines as well. That is all the time we have. I want to say thank you to Serena Williams. This thank has you. been delightful. Thank you so much. A pleasure. I'll take you back here. Thank you, Barry. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, All right, Serena Williams.